Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Welcome, and so glad you're with us today, whether you're here in this room or you're online watching and connecting to us via the web. We're so grateful that you are a part of this experience on a big day like this with baptism, uh, getting to experience young believers taking that public step of faith of saying, you know, today's the day. Today's the day that I'm sealing, making it official of sealing my heart uh, in the kingdom with the family, with the people of God. Uh, What a powerful experience. Thank you Becca, for sharing that with us. And, you know, I'll confess and tell you guys in the excitement of the moment, I even forgot to share a critical thought that I had, and it was even written down in some notes for me to not forget about, not to to let go. And that was, you know, their, uh, Jeff and Becca, their initial involvement or connection here, the way they knew about Northbridge was actually from the Baxleys. They're friends and neighbors of Tyler and Glenn, and uh, had been friends for how long? I mean, quite some time, right, guys? And, uh, and they knew him uh, very well and knew that they were in the process of searching for a new church. And what did you do? You, you threw out an invite, didn't you? And just said, hey, why don't you come with us to church? And that was, you know, a couple of years ago. And uh, look where it, look the journey, where it goes. And so you guys are to be commended as well. And thank you. Thank you for standing the gap for your friends. Thank you for, for just giving a simple invite to, uh, to another family, to friends, and seeing where that leads. And what a story for us and what a reminder for us of how just an invite can make a world of difference in someone's life and uh, impact someone in a powerful way. Um, we're moving into, move out now into the under construction as we're looking at the different tools that God gives us so that we can build families, so that we can build homes that endure in the world that we live in today. And here's the reality, friends. I need something in my life. I need a tool. I need something in which I can store excess love and then be able to pour that excess love, to give that excess love out uh, to people around me during critical junctures of life, during critical moments. It'd be great to have that tool. I Just this past week, experienced that in a very profound way of, of needing that tool. I found myself, uh, it, was, it was Wednesday, I believe, and I was at the gym, as I am often at, and uh, I was working out. And Now, a critical detail for some of you, for me it wasn't a critical detail, but for some of you it'd be important to note that uh, I will confess I flouted the rule in the gym and I was barefoot, in that particular moment. You're supposed to have closed-toed shoes, but I was barefoot. For some people, this might be an important thing. For me, not so much. Uh, Barefoot, and I was going to pick up a kettlebell. Okay, I was looking for a kettlebell. and At this gym that I happen to be a member of, the kettlebell is around this giant cage that has all these uh, handles for people to do pull-ups and stuff like that. It's this big cage that, you know, big massive thing, and the kettlebells are sitting there, and there's aisles in this cage. Okay, that are clearly meant for people to walk through. Okay, these aren't apartments, these aren't domiciles where people can reside. I'm walking through this area to pick up my kettlebell, and I note there's just stuff on the floor, you know, weights and stuff. 
Don't think anything about that because there are some people that are thoughtless and they leave weights behind and don't pick up their stuff. There was a mat, a yoga mat in the middle of the walkway. Again, didn't really think anything about it because people leave mats on the floor. In my barefooted state, I walked on the mat because let's face it, I love the squishy feel of a mat on bare feet, right? And so I walk on the mat and right then I hear someone growl behind me. And literally I heard a And I turn around and about three feet behind me, understand, please, because some of you are going to judge me with what I'm about to say and forgive me. This person I know is loved by God. I know this person is fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that Jesus died for that person just as much as he died for me. Keep that in mind as what I'm about to say. So looking behind me, I see this bald-headed dude with an arm tattoo sleeve, and his eyes are red, I think. His brow line, I will admit, it kind of looks like he came as a direct descendant from Neanderthal. I mean, it was very much, you know, very pronounced. And he just growled at me. He just, Aah! and I go, oh, man, I'm sorry. Is this your area? Were you working out here? And again, he growled at me. And he goes, Aah! and I go, oh, dude, I, I apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on your area. And did, do, do, I, 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 I'm in the bad. I'm sorry. Didn't say a thing. He didn't say a thing. Okay. And uh, at that moment, something kind of just torqued in me, just torqued, okay? In which I'm watching this dude, and I find myself now somehow in my mind, I'm like, okay, I, clearly I'm the offender. I'm the one who messed up here. I admit that. I took ownership of it. But you didn't reciprocate in any way. You didn't say, hey, nope, no problem, dude. We all make mistakes. You didn't do anything. You just stared at me. And I found myself now kind of righteously indignant, Right? Just kind of like, well, who's this guy to be acting like that to me? And I kind of am just watching him for a moment, and I find myself getting a little, just a little bit more worked up, just a little bit more. Not enough to cause a scene, but enough to just have an internal dialogue, right? You know, I think you guys know what I'm talking about here. And, um, and I, I'm watching him for a moment, and long enough to surmise that the two things this dude loves the most is himself and the reflection of himself is the second thing that he loves the most. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take the second thing away from him. And as he was working out and he was like, eye in the mirror, just you know, watching every movement that every sinew made, I thought, I'm just going to get in front of him for about, about 10 feet in front of him and just post up and I'm just going to work out in front of him the whole time. And so there I am. I'm just working out. I'm doing my, my kettlebell swings, you know, sitting there. I'm just making, just having a great time and I'm working out. And, and again, I'm saying about 10 feet away. I don't say a word to him. And I could tell he's just getting more and more angry with me, right? And I thought to myself, I was like, if he just says, hey, could you move? I'll, I'd move. I'd move. I'd do it. But I'm like, you're going to talk to me, by golly. You know, you're going to connect to me and not just growl at me. And, uh, and I see after about five minutes, he grabs his stuff, and he goes, uh, he goes to the front desk. I see him at the front desk, and all of a sudden, I feel like I'm watching one of those silent Charlie Chaplin movies, you know, because he's so animated. I just see him doing this. And I, I, the whole time I'm watching him, and I thought, I bet, I bet he's talking about 
bet he's talking about me. I think he's reporting me right now as being a problem in this gym. And, and long, if I to, told that part of the story, I was correct because I talked to that lady and we had a discussion. That's not pertinent for this. He, he does all this stuff, and you can tell he's even, as he's doing all this, he's getting more and more animated. Well, guess what? I'm kind of getting more and more charged up, too, I confess. And I'm kind of like, who is this guy I think he is, right? And, and as I'm watching him, he grabs his stuff, and he twirls off into the, 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 the uh, locker room. And, you know, I'm keeping an eye as I'm working on him. Now, now I'm no longer posting up at the mirror. I'm, everywhere I'm at, I'm making sure I keep one eye to the locker room because I'm waiting for this cat to leave, <laughs> to leave, because I'm thinking, I don't want to have an encounter with this guy in the locker room, just he and I. You know, I'm thinking this could go south really fast. And he's never leaving. I don't, I don't ever see him leave. I don't see him leave. So now all of a sudden I'm thinking, this dude is waiting for me. He's going he's gonna to confront me in the locker room, right? Well, now I'm really amped up. I'm sitting there going, oh, huh. Oh, okay, he wants to play that way? We're going to play that way. Oh, and I, I, don't, I start like it, thinking about my internal, I'm creating a monologue from you know, some of my best lines from Tombstone. You know, If you've never seen Tombstone, hey, it's a movie that still holds up, guys, so it's worth it even though it's like 20 years old. And I'm just sitting there, I'm imagining in my mind. Now, this didn't happen, but I'm imagining. I'm like, he's gonna, I'm going to start coming in, minding my own business, and he's going to come up on me, and he's going to start mouthing me. And what am I going to do? I'm, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slap him in the face is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to say, hey, what are you going to do? You're going to just stand there and bleed? And then he's going to just stare at me and just be like, oh, I don't know what to do now. Uh, your manhood. I didn't, uh, I didn't encounter that. I didn't expect to encounter that. And then I was going to say, come on, Junior, uh, skin that smoke wagon and get to work. You know? And then I was going to grab him by the ear and pull him out and say, now get out and go see your mother. That's what I was going to do. You know? And I had this worked out all in my mind. And then all of a sudden, there was a whisper in my ear from the Holy Spirit that said, come on, Tony, come on, you're better than this. What happened? You got mildly, mildly insulted by something that you did <laughs> to begin with. And why are you doing this? That's what I was hearing in that moment. And and then I recounted a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just whispered a verse, a verse that I try to live my life on as best I can, that Solomon tells us that a gentle answer does what? It averts rage. And, and so the Holy Spirit right then said, go in there, and if he's there, that, and he says something, just be prepared to gently say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for that. Didn't mean to offend you. I apologize. And, and just walk away, walk away. Now, to not keep the artificial tension up, he was gone. So he left at some point when my eye was turned away, and I don't know where he was. He, that never happened. But in that moment, friends, that moment of everyday life that I feel very confident in telling you because none of you can judge me because all of you have been there too. I know it because I've been your pastor too long, and I know you all been there. So we're all in the same boat. I just started thinking, I was like, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice if there was a tool that would help me in scenarios like that? And so I decided, I went home and I was like, you know, necessity is the, the mother of invention. And I invented a tool for all of our families to use. And it's a jug called the love jug, the love jug. And what the love jug is meant to do is it's meant that you, as you are plugged into loving encounters and loving experiences and love is poured into your life, 
the love you can put here and you can store it and, you know, you can carry it. Heck, there's even nice little clips. You can just clip it on your belt and just walk around with your love jug on all over the place. And then when you are in an environment where you need some excess love, you can take your love jug out and maybe you need to drink some love yourself. And you drink it, right, so that you can, you can experience and you can act lovingly. Or perhaps you need to serve someone some love around you, and you can take a cup and you can just pour it out and give them some of your excess love. We all need love jugs in our lives. And, you know, of course, we're kind of snickering and kind of laughing at the idea, the notion of a love jug. But guess what? We do have love jugs, don't we? We call them our hearts, our hearts. Our heart is the source of incredible love and life and joy. Sadly to say, too, for many of us and many people that we encounter in this world, it can also be the seat of anger and bitterness and resentment, right? And, and we experience in our lives and in our own lives, but also in the our friends and our family's lives around us, there's some that your heart is just filled with incredible love, but then other times it's filled with resentment and bitterness and anger. And, and for many of us, it, we find ourselves kind of back and forth, right? It's like our love jug has a giant hole in it. And so, yeah, we experience love and we're ready to give that to some people, but then it goes out very quickly. We run dry very fast, don't we? So what do we do? How do we do this? Well, a couple of thoughts before we go into our scripture here to look at how to develop a love jug and pour into it on, under, on a regular basis is to understand that how do we pour into our hearts? First of all, just the thing that we need to implicitly know in our lives is it's all about what you choose to fill your heart. You see, you all have a choice of what kind of media, what kind of conversation, what kind of things you take in, what kind of music you listen to, what kind of movies, what kind of television shows, what kinds of talk, all of those things. What are those things that are entering into your life, into your mind, into your heart? Because you are ultimately going to fill your love jug with the things that are coming into your life. Also, a second premise that I just want to say, I just want to clear up and just put it, in our, put it into our context, put it into this talk so that, so that there's no doubt and you understand what we believe, what I believe, and that is this, that you, you, you are 100% responsible for what's in your heart. It's not your husband's fault that you're bitter or resentful or angry. It's not your wife's fault that you are angry all the time. Uh, let's go the opposite. You know, if you're a loving heart, it's not because you have the greatest mate that you're that that's in the history of of marriage, right? It's if you have incredible joy in your life, it's not because of the responsibility of your children, right? It's not anyone else's responsibility for how your heart is functioning. Okay. The other premise that I just want to share before we read our scripture here is to know that, that we can only pour out love when we have it in excess in our lives, in our love jugs. You can't give something that you don't have, can you? You can't, can't hand people other things, excessive things in your life if they're not in your life to spare. 
Jesus talked about the love jug. And he talked about this premise that we're talking about in Matthew chapter 15 uh, and verse 17. Matthew 15, 17. Jesus writes this. He says, if anything you pass through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Any, anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. And he continues on and he shares with us. He says this, but the word you speak comes from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. Those are the things we talk about. Uh, that's the things we we're talking about, the, the, you know, the bitterness, resentment, anger. He, Jesus is saying, hey, those things can be present within your heart. And then he continues on. Uh, and he's saying, look, you, you know, Jesus is teaching in this and saying, look, um, your heart, dear heart, that's the important thing to pay attention to. You know, we're so worried about, in this case, when Jesus was living on earth, he was saying, you know, you Jews, you people are so worried about what you're eating that comes into your body, that goes out your body. But let's pay more attention about what enters into your heart. Jesus is teaching us uh, to pay attention to the heart. Now, understand, this is not an original thought from Jesus. This is actually recycled teaching that Jesus is using. Uh, he's actually taking the words of Solomon that Solomon said some thousand years before, and, and it's recorded in Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Solomon both writes and also he said. Guard your heart. Guard your love jug because it will determine how life happens for you, for you. So how do you do this? How do you guard your heart? Easier said than done. We're talking about a spiritual issue, an emotional issue, a psychological issue. So it's kind of hard to, to put you know, X's and O's to this when we're talking about something that's intangible and invisible. But if we look and look at the broader text of Solomon's words here, and we start up in verse 20, we can get kind of a sense of what he's talking about here. In verse 20, he writes, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. He continues on. And he says, For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Verse 24. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Verse 25, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. 
There's a few things here that, that Solomon is giving us a clue to of how do we guard our hearts? How do we set ourselves up where we have a love jug that is primed to just get to receive the love that God offers us every day of our lives? How do we do this? Well, in verses 20 and 21, we're seeing here this sense that we need to pay attention to these words. What are the words that Solomon's talking about? In this specific context, he's talking about his words, his words here. Well, his words... Uh, why they're so powerful is because they're infused by the Holy Spirit. It's literally a part of what the, what the scholars would call holy writ, the holy scriptures. And Solomon say, pay attention to the words that I'm saying to you because they're not just my words. They are words that the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit has given me, and they will bring life to your life, and they will bring healing where there is brokenness and where there's hurt and where there's bitterness and where there's anger. You can experience healing when you are paying attention and taking my words, taking the words of God into my life. So the question that we ask today and the question that we just need to challenge ourselves in all the time is, are we doing that as, a, as families in our homes? Are we taking time to make much of Scripture in our lives? You know, there's some of us that maybe you're baby Christians, maybe you're young Christians, and for you, it's just been a great thing and a great experience to, to take a, a five-minute devotional, and you're just getting a five-minute devotional maybe on your phone as you're rushing to work. And for you, I say, I'm so glad that you started that task, and you're, I'm so glad you're doing that spiritual discipline. But, you know, the reality is this. Many times, we just don't really, you know, we don't feel compelled to stretch ourselves spiritually. And so for some of us, maybe that's been, that's been our spiritual discipline for 15 years. You know, you've been a Christ follower for 15 or 20 years, and you say, Tony, every day, I, I read one verse, I read one verse from Scripture, I spend three minutes hearing about what a pastor says about it, and I spend 30 seconds praying. And I say this, I'm so glad you did that. You did that when you were a young Christian, when you were new to the faith. But you know what? As Christians mature, their practices need to mature and grow deeper when it comes to getting God's word into their life. And so for us, many of us, we start maybe doing something and it's, and it's good, it's great. You know, God is there cheering you on. But it becomes what Paul describes in the New Testament. It's like milk. It's milk that a baby would eat. And it's right for a baby that's six months old to, to drink milk. But there's something wrong if a baby turns into a young man or woman and their full sustenance is still milk, right? There's a problem with that. That person, I guarantee you, will not grow, will not develop to the level that God has for them if that is still what they're doing. And today, you know, one of our issues in the American church is that most Christians are still doing the practices that maybe they did as a brand new believer and they've never been challenged to go deeper and take God's word super seriously and learn from it and apply it and actually practice it in their lives. And, and Solomon says, if you, want, if you want to protect your heart, if you want a heart that is prepared and ready to take in God's love, to distribute it to other people and to other places and to other, other environments, make much and pay attention to these words. But he also tells us to avoid some things, to avoid perverse words and corrupt speech. And very easily we could sit back and think, well, okay, Paul is telling us don't cuss, right? Let's not cuss 
and let's not use profane language. And, and, and that's correct. That's Solomon, that is part of his teaching here. That's clearly a part that if you, by golly, friend, if you're a Christ follower and you talk like a sailor, you know what? You need, you need to probably change some things. You probably need to change some things. You need to start maybe using more wholesome verbiage. Oh, Tony, I'm just, that's just how me and my friends talk. Well, then it's time for you to change. It's time for you to change. It's time for you to help your friends change as well. And I would challenge you to, to change that language. But let me tell you, this passage is not just talking about cussing. Okay, it's talking about corrupt speech. It's talking about 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 broken talk. What's broken talk? Talk that is only the half truth, right? Uh, allowing lies to permeate, uh, allowing deceit to 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 rule that in that moment, incomplete or inaccurate talk. And so, for many of us, and you're going, okay, what? How does this? How does this apply? How does this apply to our lives? And what are you trying to say here, Tony? I'm trying to say at the very basis, you know, many of us allow this to happen because we hear the enemy speaking into our lives and we believe, we believe their lies. We believe their lies. I encountered a believer this, just this past week that uh, 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 I learned that this person wasn't willing to, to stand f- and to, to, uh, to step out uh, for, for the Lord to step out and, and, and to serve and to minister in a, in a, in a way that they could. And, and one of the reasons why was because they, had, they were guilty of, of something, just something that in, they, in their minds they thought was really terrible years ago, years ago. And this person, uh, they received healing, they received forgiveness, they received uh, God's grace and mercy in their lives. And, and they were walking in newness. You know, they received forgiveness, but they were afraid. They were afraid. They were like, if I attempt to do something great for God, Satan's going to come at me again. And he's going to bring this ugly thing that was in my past back into my future. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to chance it. You know, in essence, what this person was doing was they quite literally made a pact with the devil and, and said, you know, Devil, if, if you let me have my safe Christian home and let me just live out in a, in a nice way, in a, in a safe way, in a way in which my children are healthy and there's not a lot of drama going on in my life, then I won't do anything to disturb you. You know, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, in essence. You know what that person's doing? That person is letting the whispers of Satan to say, I, I can hurt you. I can hurt you, and I can bring the same kind of despair that I brought into your life before. I can do it again. That person was allowing incomplete speech, broken and and, and incorrect thinking to guide their heart. And as a result, to a fairly extreme level, their heart is broken. Their heart is still incredibly hurt because of that. So pay attention to words and pay attention and avoid corrupt, broken speech. But then we go on and we see something very interesting in verse 25. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out straight the path for your feet. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. I love that advice when it comes to guarding our hearts. Meaning, pay attention and don't get sidetracked on anything but the main mission of your life, right? I love that. Friends, I'm not going to stutter right now. 
And I'm not going to use cute stories to try to entertain you, but I want to say it very clearly. We here at Northbridge are absolutely convinced that the greatest mission, not in some people's lives, but in every human being's life, is to know and love God. That is the main task that you are created for. That is the main purpose that every person is walking planet Earth. If you are drawing breath in your lungs, know that God made you not to be a teacher, not to be a farmer, not to be an educator, not to be a, uh, a pastor, even not to be a truck driver, not to be a stockbroker, not to be a police officer, not to be a doctor, not to be any of those things. God made you to be a lover of him. That is the goal. That is the purpose. And I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your education level is. I don't care how much money you're making. You can have all the things that the world says are awesome. But if you don't know him, there's a God-shaped vacuum. A guy named Rene Descartes in the 17th century described. There's a God-shaped hole in every person's life that cannot be filled with money. It cannot be filled with stuff. It cannot be filled with family. It cannot be filled with education. It cannot be filled with experiences. It can only be filled by God himself. You were made to know God. And Solomon is saying, make the main mission the main mission. Don't get sidetracked. What are we saying here? Hey, I just ask you a very simple question. Do you count God as your friend? Right there, that could make some people uncomfortable because that's not been your faith tradition. You go, well, uh, uh, he's my creator. He's God. He, I don't know that I'd want him to be my friend. That's why he came. Jesus spelled it out so clearly that the heavenly father wants to be your daddy. The heavenly father wants to be a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The heavenly father is there for you. Do you trust God with your life, with your hopes, with your dreams, with all of your stuff. That's what, that's what we're talking, that's what salvation really is. You know that? When you say, I got saved, you got, I got saved. Uh, when, when evangelicals use that, they're not talking about that they've gone through a religious rite, that they've put their, their name on a, do, a set of doctrinal beliefs. But when we talk about salvation, we're saying, you know what? I've had an encounter with the living God in such a way that I now trust him to take care of me. I now trust him with everything in my life, and I'm giving it to him. Oh, sometimes it's a struggle. I'm not going to try to act like it's easy. Sometimes, you know, there's a lifelong process, right, Pastor Dave, where we're learning to trust him more and more and more. But still, at the beginning of the day, at the, at the very beginning of that experience, it's still a, God, I trust you. I trust you to take care of me when I die. I trust that you're going to bring me into your kingdom because your son died on a cross and paid for my sins. You see, that's what we celebrated today with Becca in the first hour, in this hour, and then Dax in the second hour, is both of these people made that kind of decision a few months ago. And to, to, they recognized that no amount of self-effort, self-work, no amount of religiosity, no amount of being a good person is ever going to be enough to get God into that God-shaped vacuum in your heart, in your life. But what you have to do is just come to a point where you say, God, I need you. I trust you. I call on your name right now. Will you forgive me of my sins? And will you come into my life to take leadership of my life? And the scriptures are clear 
abundantly clear. When a person calls upon the name of God, they will be saved. They will be saved. That's the main mission for us, friends. And let me tell you, when you get that squared away in your life, everything else is just details, honestly. It's just details from that point on. The reason being, and we don't have time to get through this. I'm already one point, one minute and 22 seconds over. Now I'm 26 seconds. Now I'm 27 seconds. Anyway, uh, what, what, what we're doing is we need to realize that what we get so caught up on in this life is we're talking about, what, 50, 60, 70, 80 years? But, but the reality is eternity is longer than 50, 60, 70 years. And what God is shaping you for is not what's happening here on planet Earth, but what eternity is going to look like for you. Let's pray. And in this moment, as we conclude, I just simply ask the question, and I'm not going to trot anyone up here. I'm not going to make a spectacle. But in this moment, is there anyone in the room that would say, Tony, right now, I want to call on Jesus to save me and to come into my life. And if there's someone that would be in the room that would say that, I, I just invite you. No one's looking around, but just wave your hand, and I won't even acknowledge you. I won't say anything. Okay, okay. So in this room or online, as you're watching this, know that call on Jesus. It's just simply as simple as this. You have a moment where you, you submit to God and you say, God, I believe you are real. And I believe your son is the son of God. And I believe he died on a cross for my sins. And so I ask him to forgive me of those sins. And I ask him to come into my life because he is the savior of the world. And I want him to lead me from this point on. If you do that, friend, friend, you, you have God in your life. You have Jesus as your savior. And life is different from that point on for you. And I'd invite you, do not hesitate in calling upon him because that is, the, the, that is where the beginning of our love jug begins, right there, where we have the ability to, to get love from God and to be able to give it to other people, to our families, to our husbands, to our wives, to our spouses, to our kids, to people that are in our lives, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. That's what God wants from us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your son's sacrifice. And we, right now, just say, Lord, help us to protect our hearts and to guard our hearts from what the enemy would love to see happen. And God, give us, give us incredible and abundant grace and mercy today that we could spread that to other people in this world. And that we could point, we could point to you, to folks that are far from you, and share the reason that we have hope in you. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.